Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. So one of the things that I like about what these guys are doing is, you know, they're really focusing on repetitive play. And that's the thing, same things are latency is focusing on. So you're seeing that kind of repeat business come through and they've published some great stats. By the way, if you're not following Jan and his team on in their blog, the blog is sending out amazing data. I think the data they're sending out is really important and, you know, around repeat playability, statistics, insights that they're gathering. They've had over a million plays now. They've been doing this for as long as anybody. And so go onto the Virtuix website and sign up for the blog because it's not just sales information. Yeah, it's really good stuff. So, all right, let's move on. So what else are we going to see at Amusement Expo? So there's a couple of other, so there's a new one coming that I'm really actually pretty excited about. It's a product called Vex. I think the company might be called Vex. And it's coming from Arc Arenas, which is kind of a a laser tag arena manufacturer. They're based in Florida, and they just picked up distribution of this product. And I'll show you the video. Cool. So I talked at the EAS show in Europe, in Amsterdam last fall, and it was really interesting. So the way I would describe it is kind of like a little mini pocket void. So it's backpack based, it's free roam in a, in a fairly small space. It's about the size of a hollow gate, or I think the other company that's going to be there is going to be, Minority Media is a lot smaller. This one's bigger, like 20 by 20 feet, maybe. But you get to move around within it. And the thing that I love is they really brought out the environmental haptics. So they have a vibrating floor. They have heat, they have wind, and they have smell. And so what they've done is they've created this kind of high-end environmental haptic free roam experience in a really small package for, and I don't know what they're bringing it to, but it'll be less than $200,000. And so it's definitely a high-end product. I think your ticket price could be a lot higher if you're operating this. And I highly recommend doing it at Amusement Expo if you're there. The experience I did was kind of like a bit of a, like a giant troll experience. And there was a bit of a cliffhanger at the end. And I was having so much fun. It was like a 10 or 12 minute game. I think the final game was, they said it was going to be about 20 or 25 minutes. And I don't know, is anybody here from Arc Arena or Vex? If you want to raise your hand and comment, Lathan, is that you? Thanks. I actually also have Julian from J squared from Belgium. He's here with me. Hi. Hey Julian. How are you? Thanks Thanks for joining. Good to talk to you again. Nice to see you. So give us just a little bit of a rundown of what you're going to be bringing to Amusement Expo. You're going to have the we full setup? We will have the full setup there. We've got a, a pretty major announcement to make um, on the floor of something we've uh, added and we're pretty excited about that we're doing the final touches on right now. But yes, cool. it is a, a, a fully immersive attraction with all of your senses. It comes with the games that we currently have are set up for a 15-minute or a 30-minute 
turnaround, so experience. So the operator would have uh, options. And uh, we are uh, currently working on uh, two more games uh, in-house. We will have uh, mid-May. And um, so the, the attraction will have uh, four games at that time. So, yeah, we're pretty excited. So there's one other thing that we're doing that we're actually allowing outside developers to develop games for our platform. So not only can you license our games that come along with the platform, but we are working with a couple of outside developers to have their proprietary games uh, play on our platform. Cool. What's your footprint like right now? Because one of the challenges with that is got to kind of have to have a footprint for it to be economically viable for the developers, unless you're paying them for the development, which then gets really expensive. So what's your footprint like? The playing like? area is five meter by five meter. So No, no, no. How many, your footprint of locations, how many sites have you installed and operated? Uh, currently, we have uh, three locations up and running in Europe and two yep. already up and coming for the U.S., and I know Heike in the Netherlands has put. Has he installed his yet, or is that in your in your sales nope, pipeline? No, it's installed it yet. We're on track to deliver oh. around twenty to thirty attraction at least in Europe this year. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you've got the pipeline coming. Awesome. Awesome. Where is it also? Um, <laughs> yeah. Rob Crittenden's asking about throughput. I don't know that the third person haptics challenges the throughput as much as just that it's a backpack based system and you're getting people in and out. What's the actual throughput been with the setup? How much equipment do people get? So here, you, everything is automated. So you have the shorter operation time. So on a 30-minute session, you only have five minutes of non-playing game. Same on the 15, only five minutes of operation. And so we can have up to 16 uh, people per hour on the system. So how long is the game? Uh, It's 10 to 25 minutes, depending on the game. Got it. So a five minute, you're saying a five-minute turnaround. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I think that – now, do you give them two sets of equipment, or do people have to take off the equipment and then put on – Yeah, we've automated the system to where taking them off and putting them back on is very easy. So that the five-minute – I will be there with a stopwatch <laughs> tied to you, and dinner's on me if you can get people in and out of backpacks and get them instructions in five minutes. There's no fucking way that game, happens. I'm just going to Game instruction right is fully automated, so – all right, we'll see. I will eat a bug if, uh, if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I've been doing this shit a long time, guys. This is a no-bullshit zone. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for joining. Thank, we'll you. See Thank you. you. So, yes, no-bullshit zone, but we'll see. We'll be there with stopwatches. Yeah, and fam, I'll be doing the trust. Well, I'll have to go back to Austin to do the same with Virtuix. But I think that they're not necessarily claiming you know, I think they're being a little more realistic about what they're claiming as far as throughput goes. They're talking about how many attendants. And, but I think you'll see, yeah, I think you'll see at Amusement Expo, the new Omni is a lot easier to get people in. And the fact that people are putting the shoes on, actually not the shoes, they have these like clip-on things that go on your feet. It's a lot easier to do. But I totally agree with you. I think that throughput in these devices is a challenge in getting people in and out, especially if they haven't done VR. Now, the thing I am seeing with younger kids is they're coming into these devices already knowing how to do it. And so as more and more people are watching VR on YouTube, right, and they're getting the hang of it, they're like, oh, yeah, I got this. They put the headset on. I think the older crowd are the ones, like people like my age, are the ones that really struggle with this. And over time, it's going to get easier. And I think one of the things I've been encouraging companies to do is start working on unattended VR. Start working on the software workflow. Start working on the things that are going to allow people to get in and out of this thing by themselves because it's coming. Like there's a day in the near future where most people 
especially at an FEC, will come back. And when you're dealing with replay, right, if you're building competitive VR, the whole idea is get people to come back and back and back. And once they've done it a couple of times, they're not going to need you to help them as much. So I think you're going to find throughput of these things goes on over time. We'll see what happens. Yeah, robots. The Void would bring robots into the game. There's no doubt about that. All right, let's see. What else do we have here? So Amy, I know you're here. And so Amy is going to be, I don't know that they're going to be showing this product, but she's going to be on the panel around operations. And one of the big things that I talk about is, you know, is hygiene. It's an issue. Like I call it hygiene theater. And I think that to a certain extent it is, and it's like security theater at the airport. You know, the number of weapons that get through the airport security is ridiculous, but they do that to make us feel safe. And I think that there's two issues around hygiene. One is making it visible so people feel like they're comfortable putting it on and wearing the stuff that's been on somebody else's face. And the other is actual hygiene. And I can't tell you how many people I see using like Clorox wipes on face masks and then expecting people to put bleach on the skin on their face, which is fucking absurd. And so what Amy and Cleanbox are doing is... If you're using alcohol wipes to clean your VR headset, you should really see what's going on down there. Alcohol wipes don't work on irregular surfaces. They aren't much better on smooth surfaces either. They're even worse for the environment and your wallet. That means all of the body oils and sweat from the previous user go right to the next. But all of this can be avoided. If you use CleanBox, you eradicate germs, keeping the customers safe, while also keeping the planet green and the visors clean and dry. CleanBox. So they have a, and I'm going to see if I can grab her. She doesn't have a microphone. But Amy will be on stage in the operations panel. We're going to get into the panels here in a minute, who's speaking when and what the schedule is. But they have some really cool technology that basically allows you to put the headset in it. And in like 60 seconds, I think it is, and Amy, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, it'll sanitize in one minute using UV and other weird magical shit. And it disinfects the headset. And it's a really cool thing to look at, too. It's like... It's got blue lights and shit, and people are going to see it. It's going to be really right there and give people confidence. And so, you know, I really want to see more and more of this stuff work its way into the industry. The other thing I want to suggest, if you're in this space, there's a, a product called Sono, I think, white. So I'm going to put it in the chat. That is a, a medical grade white that they use for like ultrasound equipment. And you can get it on Amazon. They're relatively inexpensive. They don't have bleach. They have very little alcohol in it, like less than 0.1% alcohol. So be really mindful of what you guys are doing on cleanliness and check out Cleanbox. I love what they're doing. And they can do custom installations. Like if you're doing a big, they can do like customs with multiple boxes and they'll build the technology into whatever solution you're building so they can customize it to work on throughput and make sure you don't have to have like, because if you have like a tethered system, I'm not quite sure how it would work. So you like if you were running a four player tethered quadrant based system, you might have to like put the headset in for a minute, right? And then do it while you're getting the next group of people in and then take it out. I'm sure there's a way to build it into a system. So anyway, thanks for joining Amy and, and I love the work that you guys are doing. So yeah, what else do we have here? Um, so I think the last two more videos I have, one is um, Sven, I think you're on here. And so this is, um, this is Huxley, which I got to do recently in Munich. No, I'm not sure if it was really the first. Everybody claims there to be the first. There was a time when mankind 
discovered me as a new superior energy source. But instead of shared prosperity, the majority of all humans suffered from hunger and misery. So I don't think Huxley is going to be at Amusement Expo. I did it in Berlin at Exit VR's headquarters. And look, it was really interesting. I think that, and they are working on a second game. I think the release of is imminent. And I think they didn't want to necessarily bring that game because it's a couple of years old now. And they've taken the thing, to, they've taken it to the next level. But Sven's going to be on our storytelling um, panel and talking about storytelling in escape rooms in VR. Because I think it's a really interesting intersection. Everybody's trying to figure out how do you tell stories in VR. And I think one of the challenges is we're taking these old school third party views of stories where we sit in a movie theater on a television screen or even read a book and we're reading somebody else's story. And the power of VR is that you can be in your own story. You can be the central character or the hero of your own story. And I think that this combination of escape rooms and storytelling and long-form VR content is really interesting. And so I'm hoping to have Jake Zim from Sony there, and Sven's going to be there. We'll get to the panels in a minute. But I think these kind of escape puzzle game, story-driven, long-form content, you're going to see more and more and more of this develop. And one of the things I love about it is the longer experiences, and you know that I've been a big proponent ever since I did the very first Zero Latency in Melbourne, which was 44 minutes in-game. You know, the immersion was so deep, like you just totally forget that you're in a VR experience. And so I think it's a really interesting thing. So come listen listen to that panel, because if you're interested in the future of storytelling and where it's going to go, I think you'll be interested in that. I've been doing a lot of research, by the way, on the movie industry and the intersection of VR and storytelling and the theater business. And hopefully I'll, I'll be bringing some of the at least the overview ecosystem insights into what's missing from that to make it really take off. So. Yeah. And then I think I've got one more that, so um, Fred from Backlight. Now, I don't know if Fred's going to make it. Fred just showed Eclipse. So they have another escape game called Eclipse, which I did at IAPA, which was a four player kind of free roam VR backpack based, again, similar to Huxley. And they had a haptic floor, which was really the difference. But again, story driven, really high quality. I really enjoyed it. They just announced a new game that I wanted to share with you guys. Now, I don't think this is not going to be a recent expo. But it's worth
Anyway, so that's uh, from a company called Backlight Brands. They're doing really amazing stuff. And it's about a thousand square foot space, four players, backpack based. They're doing the haptic floor again. So they're doing some haptics. It looks like they had a seat in it. I don't really know much about it yet. I'll be finding out about it. And hopefully we'll get Fred in a deep dive in the future. And I do think that, look, the haptic stuff, I was a couple of years ago, I was really questioning the value of it from an operational complexity standpoint and in a cost standpoint, because it really drives the ROI out, right? It drives the cost up. But I think you're seeing more and more people do it. I think that one of the challenges is if you're, you know, with optical tracking, as the, as the tracking systems move away from optical tracking towards inside out tracking, what's going to happen is the people that are committed to optical can do more of that environmental stuff. You can have things in the space that you can physically track that are harder to track with slam tracking or with Lighthouse. And so I think that it's going to be interesting to see if the more environmental stuff in a space that you're going to be tracking is going to lengthen the life cycle of optical tracking and warrant that higher cost. But as far as like heat, wind, sound, smell, things like that, I think you're going to see more and more of that work its way in because it's really easy and it's fairly inexpensive to do. And it does drive the immersion deeper, especially for shorter experiences. Like if you've got a 10-minute experience like The Void and you want to get people really immersed, that's one way of doing it. And so, again, with Vex doing that, I think you'll get an example of that with Vex at the show. All right. So I think that was all the video stuff that I had to show. And I did reach out to all the exhibitors that were doing VR and ask for video content. And so if I'm missing something, that was just because either I missed the email, in which case I apologize, or they didn't send it, in which case they apologize. That's the end of part two of this interview. Part three is up next. 